Hello and welcome to the Psychic Stories podcast, encouraging conversations about mental health. Today I'm speaking to Steph Harrison. Steph is an expert on happiness and well-being and the founder of the New Happier Philosophy, philosophy based on academic studies and original research to help you find lasting happiness. Steph, good morning to you in Canada. Good afternoon to you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for, for taking time to come on the show. Um, what we want to do is have an open and honest conversation about your own mental health journey to get some insight into the tools and techniques that have helped you and are available and accessible to, um, to other people. I'm sure we'll be talking to, um, um, to us about the new happy. We're very excited to hear about that. And by discussing your journey, what we hope to do is share and normalize the conversations about mental health, as often people are not alone with these experiences. In fact, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of sense in saying that um, a lot of people find these conversations that there's a, a huge common experience. Um, mm-hmm. So we would love to hear um, your journey if that sounds good to you. Yeah, that sounds great. Where should I, where do you want me to begin? <laughs> Wherever you would like to. It is a big question I always open with. So please tell us about your mental health journey. Then I retreat into a corner and let, <laughs> and let suddenly someone's eyes wide open go, where on earth do I start? But perhaps, perhaps, at, perhaps at the beginning, was there a time where perhaps you know, your, your, your happiness wasn't so happy. Hmm. Well, I think, you know, not to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think that part of the problem with our culture and with our society is that we have this idea of happiness that is completely, uh, unsustainable and unrealistic, this feeling that you should be joyful and buoyant and cheerful and all those things all the time and really that's just not the reality for most people and I think that certainly recognizing that in myself as well as seeing the gap between what I felt expected to uphold in that constant state of of joy or (laughs) of of what we traditionally think of as happiness and then seeing where that was actually a gap in my own life feeling I think what many of us feel and part of the stigma that persists around mental health, which is obviously so harmful and something that you all are working so hard to address, is that we feel like we're the only ones. We look at other people out there thinking, you know, oh gosh, and this is certainly how I felt like there must be something wrong with me. Maybe I'm the only one who didn't get the secret memo (laughs) that everyone else got that told them, told them what they were supposed to do. And I remember that feeling that way from a very young age, you know, from, from being a, probably in primary school and not feeling necessarily like I belonged where I was, that I was kind of an outcast, that my, and specifically that I was way more sensitive than everyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that I reacted more to things that stimuli in my environment were more challenging for me like I always needed to calm myself down and self-soothe after um, birthday parties or stressful experiences or even new experiences like going on a field trip that would Mm. be a source of stress for me and you know that wasn't something I recognized as as a child and being different because I I think that, you know, I'm not an expert in child development, but I think that's probably beyond the scope of one's understanding when you're that young. But certainly as I got into high school, I noticed that um, I would feel anxious, I would feel down, and I would feel a lot of stress and a lot of pressure, self-imposed pressure on myself to um, to be perfect, to never get anything wrong. And then whenever I did get anything wrong, which I did because, you know, what we do um I would really be quite cruel and and harsh to myself um so those kind of influences were always there and there's this um 
this line from one of my professors at grad school where he says that a lot of people who go in to study happiness and positive psychology, which is what I did, are depressives. They're people who are looking for answers and things mm. that they want to, how they can help make themselves happier. And that certainly um, resonates with me with, with feeling like I wasn't sure what was going to make me happy since, um, or, or what was going to make me feel perhaps more whole or complete for, right. for a long time. So that would be how, how I would describe the, the sort of the beginning of my, my life and, and that journey and, there. And did you find, and did you find, it's interesting, you know, that you, you, you open with those kinds of societal expectations. Did you find mm-hmm. that it was the pressure that you maybe implicitly felt, subconsciously felt, um, that resulted in these feelings because I think it's, it's really interesting I was having a, a conversation with someone over the weekend and they were saying mm-hmm. you should never use should or would and I realized when you were talking just then we inherently are in a are in a monologue to ourselves mm-hmm. is that I should be conforming to this I should be doing this and what the word should does is that it it, it, it associates guilt if you're not there and I really when you started talking I really thought about that and said and could imagine you going through that and saying, mm. I should be feeling like this. And actually, as soon as you f- say, I should be that, but I'm not, instantly you feel bad. There's nothing positive that comes out of that inner state. No. Literally nothing. nothing. There's nothing Just good guilt, about it. guilt, sadness, hopelessness. It's, it's a yeah, cocktail of exactly. it's so It's so harmful. I completely agree. I think that's such an important point because I think what happens is that we internalize these expectations and then we use them to beat ourselves up and hold ourselves accountable. So we take in these messages and narratives from all sorts of different sources, you know, from our families and our culture and media and the rest of it. And then we apply it to ourselves as this, the should and would rule book, right? And then anytime you break it, it's, I'm a bad person, there's something wrong with me. And it, it comes down to this fundamental personalization when really that's, as you said, like that should have no place there. And the irony of using the word should. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have a place in, in your life if, if, you can, if you can let go of that and release it in some way, even in small little bits, I think you can cultivate this sense of inner freedom where you're allowing your emotions to come and go as they, as they please and all of them are okay. And Honestly, I mean, that has been probably the fundamental, the fundamental thing I've learned over the last 10 or 15 years. And it's something I still have to work on every single day, like allowing whatever it is I'm feeling to come up and to exist with it and make space for it and all process it, all that fun stuff and not try to suppress it, not try to judge it, all that um, treating myself with more compassion. That's been Mm. a real keystone of what has been helpful for me. And on that kind of that kind of kind of philosophical, you know, um, uh, kind of um, expression of, of you said the societal impact. Like, as a child, you you have all of these messages. I mean, it's information, right? It's how people learn. Yeah. Information is thrown at you, and you're right. You don't have the tools. The you don't even have the language skills, even internally, to understand or how to accept, to forgive, mm-hmm. to judge. You just you just take it all in and you realize that actually a lot of people like yourself who are get who get to a point perhaps in their late teens early 20s and start thinking oh I'm not I don't feel actually quite right they might do it themselves they might seek therapy whatever it is but conversations enable you to challenge those internal assumptions Mm -hmm. and have it with someone else and someone might go do you know what that doesn't sound quite right and then you're like oh sit it out loud and 
that doesn't sound quite right. And as soon as that <laughs> happens, you kind of go, hold on, you're not living a lie. Totally. Like all, when you have that moment, when you realize your beliefs are completely flawed yeah. or leading you down a path that you're not interested in, it can just be one of those like moments, yeah. right? Yeah, but it, but but it's you as well, isn't it? You you, yeah. you 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 can kind of you can kind of imagine yourself as kind of uh, slices through time, mm. and you look back and you see yourself. And you go, hold on, that was me, but actually, totally. I'm not me now. I've changed and I've evolved because of that. And I think that's a very yeah. empowering process. But really, I think what you've done is emphasise the fact that there's no. I don't think. I think societies and governments can have a you know provide a big a good foundation for happiness, but ultimately it's down to you like mm. it's your life it's yeah. you know yes yes and you can be fortunate enough to be to be born into a place which is conflict free mm. or into into uh, uh, into a family which isn't necessarily struggling by um, uh, economically yeah. but it doesn't matter where you go like there's always issues that come up there's always challenges you're going to face in your life and you've we've all got to be able to have the, our own skills to be able to tackle mm. that no one can give that to us yeah it's it's very true and i think that there's my belief is that our institutions have a disproportionate impact on our well-being that is only just really being begun to be recognized um you know I think my work prior to starting the new happy wasn't working in supporting workplaces and changing their cultures of well-being and mm. um starting to shift towards more more positive and um more uh well-being focused versions of themselves and I think that organizations need to reform but what you're saying is also reminds me of that great line of you know wherever you go there you are right like you yeah. can you'll run into yourself wherever yeah. wherever you go and you, the other thing you can't I escape love, yourself can you <laughs> you can try it doesn't work you can move you can move countries you can get new jobs and I think so much of again you know so much of my work is focused on this these expectations that are imposed upon mm. us and so that's kind of where my default response goes to, but so much of our cultural definition of happiness tells us that if we just go out and get that job or get that promotion, get that person, get that accomplishment, whatever it is that we've set our sights on, then, then we'll be happy. And it simply doesn't work. And there's so much research that backs it up. And we all, I don't even think we need the research because we can all think of examples in our life <laughs> where that's happened. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think that there's, the, the other thing that really is so key in what you said is I think that we need to shift the way we think about happiness to instead of this end state that you can achieve through acquisitions and achievement, it's a mm. skill. It's a, something that you practice and there are specific things that you can do. There are specific ways of being in the world, of relating to other people, but it's not somewhere you arrive. It's a process that you engage with. And yeah, yeah, I think that is, I mean, I'm, I'm furiously writing that down. My God, that's something I must remember. Um, but so when you did get to a point where you realized that something was not feeling quite right, then yeah. what was that story there? How did you feel? What did you do? Yeah. Was it scary? Well, the first thing I did was I tried to go out and achieve and acquire as much stuff as I could. <laughs> so I thought that if I could, and again, I had internalized all of these beliefs about what would lead to happiness. And so for me, that specifically looked like moving to the place I wanted to live. I wanted to live in New York City. And so I moved to New York. I 
uh, went to my dream school. I got my dream job. I, um, you know, got on the best assignments at that dream job. And then so it was but, a checklist you would do. Yeah, exactly. On. Like, I, oh, I got the apartment that I always wanted in the neighborhood I wanted to live in, right? And then about two years into that job, I looked around. Well, I found myself crying on my bedroom floor, like unrestrainedly. I was mm. very ill. I had um, a kind of a stress-induced illness where I had full body psoriasis which if you haven't seen it before if anyone listening hasn't it's like you're um you have it's like a very bad rash but nothing can really be done about it for many oh, cases God, and, I'm sorry that must have been awful oh it was just so uncomfortable and so painful and I was so embarrassed about it it was the middle of the summer in New York you know like 35 degrees it's hot. yeah yeah so hot and I was so ashamed of it that I was wearing turtlenecks but you could still see it and it was on my face and I had I just felt completely um, just terrible. And then that was just like kind of the physical elements. I was exhausted. I wasn't sleeping. I felt just very, very depressed, very un, very anxious all the time. Um, it was just kind of this perfect spiral of things. And so that's what, you know, led to me having this moment of thinking like, well, what, what else are you looking for here? Like what, what else? what do you think is going to fix this? Because that had always been my modality of, well, you just need something else. You just need the next thing or the next mm. thing. And um, I've, I was, you know, I feel like it was a moment of, um, you know, extreme fortune and luck because I was able to see for just like a split second of clarity that there probably wasn't actually anything else that I needed. I, I had my basic needs taken care of. I was beyond fortunate in terms of the the privileges that I had in my life and um continuing to pursue that wasn't going <laughs> to lead to any gains to my mental well-being or towards my overall sense of flourishing in my life and so it was really that moment that inspired me to um to shift the way that I was living and to try and figure out what a better a better path might look like and um you know, really, I can, I can kind of trace everything that's happened in my life to that moment crying on my bedroom floor, because it led me to move out to California. I got a new job. I became really interested in the science of happiness, which then led to me going to Penn for grad school, which then, um, while I was at grad school is where I developed this new philosophy of happiness based on what I had experienced and what the research was telling me. And, um, you know, from there, um, that's, that's kind of brought me to, to where I am today. And so um, that was really where things shifted. And, you know, the, the interesting thing that I've discovered in my own life is that um, even in the midst of really challenging times, there is still real joy and fulfillment and meaning that's possible. And when you, when you are living oriented in a in a different way to the world, perhaps not the way that I thought was going to work back when I was younger, but I feel just so grateful and so lucky that I've been able to cultivate this sense of, of well-being. And it's really been my lifeboat um, over, over the past few years, especially. And it's, it's interesting that that sudden shift in language for that you, how you describe your life before mm. and when you had that moment, because it's funny, you were still listing things like a checklist, but the second time around, you were saying it led me to do this, it led me to do that, it led mm. me to do that. It sounded like you were more 
I suppose you were you were like a boat going on that journey mm. but kind of confident in the knowledge that you were on the right journey but frankly there wasn't much of a destination in mind mm. however what you ended up doing is started to link things together mm. which enabled you to what now would look like a great checklist for happiness but it wasn't right. the this is what I need to do to do that because actually you didn't know where you were going up at that point is that accurate? That's so perceptive. And I've never, ever thought about that before. So thank you for saying that and and sharing that with me because you're totally right. And I'm just kind of processing and realizing this because I think you're spot on. Like it could easily look like that I went out with that motivation, the checklist motivation, maybe that's what we should call it. And um, tried to achieve these things that like that have brought me to where I am today, you know, um, at my 10 years after this moment in New York, when I had my first breakdown, but you're right. It wasn't at all like that. It was simply, um, aligning myself with these deeper values of, um, that, that, and then allowing that to kind of take me where, where they go. And I, I don't want it to sound necessarily passive in any way, because as you said, it's like you, you are on the journey, but you, you are you're guiding it right like there's some there is a level of autonomy and of um decision making certainly and um of judgment but i have felt a completely different it it has been a completely different experience and it has led to a completely different result so what you're what you're saying seems it really resonates with me i think just to kind of update my terrible analogy of a boat on on a uh, on, on the sea well actually it's a boat with oars on the sea right yeah. like you are in control but fundamentally there are lots of external shifts and tides that are pushing you either way but you are able to adapt and feel in that yeah. moment what those tides are how you're feeling inside say okay well based on this I am feel. I think I feel happy I certainly don't feel negative you know yeah. if we go with this very cynical definition of happiness being the absence of negativity right fine like okay if I can say I don't feel negative then okay I feel okay therefore I'm going to continue on what I'm going to do and if other things come along I I suppose it makes the more you go along on this journey I'll be interested to hear did it make your your framework your kind of internal framework of making decisions easier you 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 kind of started to know what not to do which made yeah, you. I think so. I think I think that's correct. Um, because sometimes it's easier to know what not to do than it is to know what to do. And if you can rule something out as saying, "Yeah, I tried that," like it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which is good. Then, it's fine, right? It's just called it's an experiment, great, right? And then it opens up this universe of possibilities. Of well, now that, like in in my case, I'll just speak for myself. Now mm. that my pursuit of trying to get promoted as fast as humanly possible is and to you know trying to be the very best person in the in the universe which is what I was trying to do basically um now that I'm just going to let that go what else is possible what else might this look like and possibilities open up that actually previously weren't even in your your line of sight because I couldn't see those things because I was so focused on what was over here that these other opportunities were they they weren't even seeds they they weren't anything that I could water or Mm. cultivate in any way and that um 
turning away and turning towards has been a really interesting way of being in the world for me. Mm. And and I think like, like what you're describing there like really resonates with me in terms of like, I suppose, you know, you know, maybe it's a bit of a cliche to talk about kind of to, to unleash your inner creativity or whatever it is, like problem solving, whatever. But if you're fixed on a target, it's very difficult to be creative because you have defined a set of logical steps for you to get there, right, right or wrong. Mm. whether those steps are you know you know it's not much of a problem solving exercise is that this is what I'm going to do whereas if you're existing like you said in that kind of I suppose almost inside out rather than outside to in if that makes sense then you can really say okay well actually I am looking vaguely getting this this, in this direction Mm. I'm going to test it but there's a stumbling block actually I need to adapt myself in a certain way then suddenly you start to become really kind of I suppose yeah, you're able to solve problems. You're able to totally. be, be creative and you're able to do things that you've never thought you'd ever be, ever be done before. Like, for example, start the new happy, which I wonder, <laughs> age 15, did you think you'd ever do? No, of course. <laughs> like, um, not in the slightest. And I, I love what you're describing. It, it goes back to something you said when you were talking about the boat and adding in the oars, because I think that, you know, I'm, I when I think about some of the major challenges that I've experienced, and when I look around and I think about some of the challenges that people in my life have experienced, and I I think a lot of it comes down to trying too much to control what happens. And unfortunately, I have learned, as I'm sure you have and everyone else listening, that life is uncontrollable, that hard things happen to us that hit us out of nowhere and bring us to our knees and need us to and and the world doesn't stop we have to get up and we have to keep going and we have to find a way to muddle through as messy as it is and I think that what you're describing is this skill of psychological flexibility tied to one's core direction when when an inevitable, I'm going to beat this all together now, or I'm going to attempt to, but <laughs> when a giant wave crashes onto your boat and yep. you spring a hole or you have, you know, a shark flopping around in there or whatever it is, you can, you, you figure out, as you're describing, you can creatively figure out how to deal with it. But if that happens and you're intent on a destination, you are trying to control the process. There's no room for openness or anything like that. It's like, the catastrophe is so much bigger because you didn't plan for this. You didn't want this. It's completely taking you off course. And you were so set on going to this one specific place. And I have felt that. Um, I felt that so many times. And this sense of openness and acceptance to this is what life is presenting me with right now. And I'm going to do what I can, try to control what I can and let go of what I can't control I think that has been another huge thing for my own mental health is, mm-hmm. is learning how to distinguish between those two and then to take action towards, um, towards the latter. And I think when you talked earlier about that kind of, that kind of old acquisitive approach of happiness, mm-hmm. like well, I, was, well, I think what, what I was trying to say was that when you do try and grab those things, actually a very quick question of why would that lead me to happiness? That's yeah. actually something you don't really think about. If you ask, totally. if you ask yourself why, you probably wouldn't be able to come up with anything good. And the, <laughs> it, it then links back to your 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 point around control. Like, 
if you really thought about what you can actually control in your life, mm. it's really not very much. It's very it's, tiny. <laughs> it's very tiny. Like I always have this kind of very, I suppose this kind of comforting, comforting thought, but it's, I mean, it's a very morbid comforting thought. If I, if I was, you know, if, 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 if all the worst things in the world could happen, I was left alone, absolutely nothing. It's like, yeah. you know, and I had a pound in my pocket or a dollar mm. in my pocket. I was like, yeah. I could still get chocolate cake. And I've realized that that is probably, possibly one of the only things, okay, other than getting that dollar, getting that pound, it's probably yeah. one of the very few things I can actually really control. Like, mm. and however, that does provide me some level of comfort that there's always going to be cake. I love that. Honestly, that's, it gives me goosebumps to hear you say that because it's, it's in that knowing that gives you the strength right like and the courage yeah. to take risks and to get back up when things are when things and not are give up yeah yeah exactly yeah it's um mm -hmm. and, and may I ask if you don't if, if you don't mind like were there points where you you did feel like you wanted to give up and actually because because the thing is it's like it's great to hear where you are now like you know brilliant um and inspirational but yeah I mean, that wasn't an easy journey right no. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I would describe it as being in phases. So it was kind of like, I, I would say I sort of had like a 180 at the, and after that moment I described of, you know, real having this like moment of illuminating clarity, hmm. it, and maybe not a 180 that might be, might be overly uh, positive, like at least a little shift, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little shift in the road. And then, degrees. and then what I learned is, and I believe so strongly in this because we are all just drowning in knowledge, right? Like there's so much knowledge out there where it's really hard is in how we apply it and the choices that we make with the knowledge that we have. And I could talk until I'm, I could share tips and tools for happiness until I'm blue in the face, mm. but it doesn't really matter unless I'm applying it and doing, doing the work. Um, and so I think that what was really interesting was, and for anyone listening, just imagine that, you know, you have your kind of prototypical two paths diverge and the more actions that you take in alignment with that new path, the more your, your new path becomes differentiated. Yeah, so what point. I discovered was that every time I made a decision that was in alignment with these new values and this, this new way of being that I was trying to cultivate my, my path diverged more and more from the one that I was previously on until it came to be that I can't even, and going back to what you said, like I can't even really connect with that previous self in many ways because it's 100%. so different. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that if you have the, the thing about moments of illumination is they're probably more common than we think, but we don't, it's hard to take action against them. Right. Because we're like, we're busy. There's a lot going on like, oh, that's nice. I'll pick that up later. Or like when I have time or for a new year's resolution or whatever. But if, if you've been given the gift of illumination of a shift in something that something inside of you, that's like calling to be born or to be shared. If you can take an action as quickly as possible after that in alignment with that illumination, you're going to start moving in a completely different direction. And that is, I think, a secret of changing our behavior and therefore changing our well-being that has really, really worked for me. But also you've got to be okay with that 
changing yeah. of direction and being adaptive and fluent and very, I suppose, yeah, I suppose willing to accept that there is an element of risks in all those paths set in front of you. Yeah. You might kid yourself to the fact that there isn't that there isn't any risk or you can mitigate those risks, but the reality is there's risks you haven't really thought about. Totally. Um, and oh sorry, go ahead. No, please. No, I was just gonna say, like for me, it was like I was like, well, the risks don't seem that painful when if like my new my my new definition of happiness is around like basically um being of service to other people and focusing on my connections with myself with other people and with the world around me I was like well you know what's the worst that can happen with this this seems like a pretty <laughs> a pretty seems, good way of living like pretty you know I might not might not be I might not get the the you know the job that I think will bring me worth or value but maybe mm -hmm. that's something I can actually find within myself instead mm -hmm. instead of relying on something else and so I think that it certainly does require leaps of courage to move from one way of living to another. Yeah. And I'm, I always, I think for me, I came to quickly feel different and have these little pings of, oh, you're on the right path or. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you've got this inner sense that yeah. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't know where I'm going. It's com I'm completely blind in front of me, but it feels right. Yeah, totally. And it's you get feedback in the form of your feelings or of yeah. that connection or, wow, like I just was able to sit with my own thoughts for five whole minutes, which I've never done before without mm. wanting to call out of my skin. Like, that's incredible. I'm so proud of myself. And then mm. all of a sudden you kind of, I, I started to feel that more and more. And now I would say I... I would view that as how I try to make decisions. Like where, where is this in alignment with my, my true self and what matters most to me? And I think on that journey, like I think you, you mentioned earlier about when your belief system kind of retrenches and your values are different. Mm. Like, you know, it's not a mathematical process, is it? You can't just, you can't just go through, go to a workshop and work out what your values are. Like, you know, you, you know, yes, you've got to do some internal work, but those values kind of, I suppose, emerge over time. And yeah. through some, I, I suppose that there is some element of analysis of your past about understanding, okay, what yeah. actually does make you feel good. Um, but like you said, it, it's, it's, it's that, and in using your um, kind of, you know, analogy of that kind of pivoting 180, well, actually, mm -hmm. like, it's almost as if everything's at 90 degrees, right? You are, you are able, and I, th I, I get the impression that mindfulness meditation uses this in terms of that kind of watching your thoughts as a river flow past. But yeah, actually, right. you are, you're actually on the side of the river watching those floods mm. go by. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about, right? Like yeah. you're able to kind of detach yourself from yourself. Makes no sense whatsoever. No, it does. But, yeah. but it seems that you seem to be able to do it and you are able then to objectively understand mm. whether what you're doing makes sense and makes sense yeah. to your values and things. And I'd be interested actually to, uh, to understand, you know, if you, if you took a picture of yourself 10 years ago, when you're in a different, different phase, yes, you, you, you would look the same, but fundamentally, like you said, you're a different person, you're in a yeah. different path. Like, do you know, I, I certainly get a sense of that. I can look at myself 10 years ago and say, I see similarities, but it's almost like a different person. Mm, totally. I, I mean, it it feels like someone I used to be friends with. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like would you, well, would you still be friends with them? 
You know, I think so. I think that, I think that the values were, you know, I guess my belief, which I, I know is probably, you know, specific and unique to me is that I, I personally believe that we all have an inner compass that points us towards the same thing, which is being there for each other, being loving, being kind, being supportive, engaging in connection. It feels and, good to do those things right? Yeah, for, anyone, right. for anyone. Anyone, anyone. And there's some amazing research that has backed this up about, um, you know, like your gene expression is limited if you're lonely and if you're socially isolated, um, you know, there's anti-inflammatory effects. Um, people who are more connected have fewer heart attacks and they recover more quickly from surgery, like all of these amazing scientific findings. And so if, if we, if we all have this, the, the way I personally like to think about it for myself and thinking back on, you know, this, this 10 year younger version of me is that it's, all of this was in there, but it was clouded over with these messages that I've received from society about who I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do and why that mattered. And, you know, this kind of gets to the heart of my, my own work, which is that what happiness is, philosophers argue that happiness is the most cherished aim of a human life. Every decision we make is trying to improve our happiness. And when we have a flawed definition of happiness, all of our decisions are laddering down from that. So we're doing things, every decision is understandable because we're doing it in order to achieve happiness in some way, whether it's in the moment or whether it's in the future. But what I personally discovered and then what I learned through my studies was that we, we need to have a definition of happiness that's in alignment with what actually does make us happy. And if we don't, then we end up taking this path that really can divert us from that and lead us towards things that we, we don't want, right? Like it leads us towards loneliness and disconnection and, um, you know, a sense of kind of lack of wholeness and all of these things that are really sort of a part of our, our modern world because we've been told this story over and over again about what we should do. And so really to me, it's more about how do we, how do I remove those layers that are blocking me from what's inside of me in this inner compass and then stay in touch with it and check in with it? Like, as you said, I love that question you proposed. Um, how do we, how do I continually make sure I'm doing things that are in alignment with that? Um, and that, that has been, I would say that's kind of the, been the secret if, if there is one. Yeah. And, and how do you, I mean, this brings us on really nicely to your philosophy, the new happy as well. I'd, I'd be really interested to understand how, how, how that came about. I assume it came about due to the experiences that you've spoken about, but how that has started to, how you've distilled that into, into a philosophy and, and, you know, would love to, you know, to, to, to hear about, you know, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about what that philosophy is and, and perhaps maybe some personally, the tools, tips and techniques have helped you along the way at the same time yeah of course um so as i as i said it really did stem from this moment in my life and when i um when i went to grad school i decided that i wanted to understand this i felt like i had grappled with it personally in my own life but recognizing that we're all very different and that it could just be me <laughs> it could just be my thing and maybe there's no value to anyone else and so i wanted to understand whether this was a challenge that more people were experiencing and so when I was in grad school, I ended up delving into all the scientific literature and the philosophical literature and um, really just, it was so fun. I loved every second of it um, and ended up writing this 
this thesis called, it was called a new definition of happiness. And um, it ended up being like 200 pages long, like really, really just kind of packed with everything I could possibly think of. And honestly, I had no idea what to do with it afterwards. Like mm. it was, it was kind of like this big moment for me of tying this whole personal experience. Yeah, synthesizing I had everything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to put this in a drawer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's maybe, I'll figure Next. <laughs> maybe I'll figure out what to do with this someday. And um, really it sat there for a few years and I just kept thinking like, I kept thinking about it and then thinking, well, I don't know what to do. And so I'm just going to keep, you know, living life and maybe something will come up. And then eventually my, um, my boyfriend said to me at the time, like, Hey, you should just, just start sharing a little bit of this. Like, I know you're overwhelmed because you don't know how to start, but just, just start really small. And why don't you just start sending like a weekly newsletter about these things that you're interested in. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's how the new happy as a like organization began. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I ran the newsletter on the side of my, my jobs at the time. And I went and worked for Thrive Global where I led all of the development of their, um, well-being curriculum programs. And so I was working on, you know, these, this work that I was really passionate about. And then, um, increasingly I, um, was just feeling this tug <laughs> going back to this feeling, this like tug mm -hmm. that, oh yes, you need to invest more time in this and then what happened in my personal life was that my boyfriend became really ill unexpectedly and he um he started losing the ability to to walk to talk to care for himself and so I became his full-time caregiver and so I was doing that while working a very demanding job at Thrive and then trying to run the new happy in my spare time and so it all became yeah, all became too much. And so I decided that um, in order to take care of him and support him in, in his health, um, as well as to pursue my my passion, which was this this message, um, I would I would leave my job at Thrive and, and work on it when I could. And it's been um, a really great blessing because mm -hmm. it's I, I have the ability to be more flexible and I can be there for him and um, have, you know, been able to support him as, um, as his health has further declined. And I think that the, the core, the irony, I mean, the core message of the new happy is that we find happiness by being in service to other people. And we do that by, in a sustainable way, by using our gifts and talents to make the world a better place. And so we take what is within us and we offer it up to others in some small way in order to support them in um, living their happiest lives. And the fundamental shift that I invite people to take is instead of continuously asking ourselves, how can I be happier? What do I need to be happy? It's asking, what can I do to help other people to be happy? Mm -hmm. And this shift has been the thing that has led to the greatest shift in my own life. And um, it also, I think, I hope that it speaks to this hunger that we have right now for a better world and for a greater sense of purpose and a sense of meaning in our lives. Um, and I think that when we think about well-being, there's, there's the self, which we've talked a lot about, and then there's others like the whole rest of the world basically all you know seven billion other people and all the animals mm. <laughs> the rivers and all that kind of stuff um and we have 
in Western society, we have overemphasized the self repeatedly Mm -hmm. and we need to bring those back into balance a little bit. And so that is my personal aim and purpose Mm -hmm. in life. How do you, you know, as a, as a, as a challenge to that, how do you stop that from being too onerous on you in terms of like you said supporting others and because that yeah. if you you know if you support like you said you're, you're you're going through a very very difficult situation at the moment and we yeah. I, I would really hope your boyfriend as well Thank um you. and it is is you can only give so much right at, yeah. Yeah, there's only so much you can do before your happiness or your overall well-being does take its toll as well like how, how do you navigate that it's such a good question. Um, I think that there's a really big difference between being someone who gives from a sense of um, a sense of both like service and of joy mm-hmm. and being a martyr or being somebody who gives from okay. a sense of obligation or expectation. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that especially, and I see this so often with, you know, my fellow caregivers, with, with mothers, with working parents of all kinds, like, um, I say mothers, because there's a really interesting challenge happening in the States right now with the exodus of women from the U.S. workforce. Mm. And like this, this whole question is so pertinent with Mm. so many working parents who have struggled so much over the last 18 months. Um, and, um, I think that, we all, we all actually give a lot more than we think we do. Like this is, as I said, this is something that's ingrained within us. It's, it's something we do naturally. We all have family and friends who we support, who we try to check in on and take care of. And a lot of times it's actually just bringing awareness to the fact that, oh, I actually feel better having helped this person. Yeah. I look like I'm going to take a moment and reflect on the joy that I feel by doing this thing. I already do that I've already done versus spending another three hours working on some project because you think it's going to gain approval or fulfillment because you know you you need your boss to like you or whatever it is right and these are these are complicated questions that are all very different for every individual we all have different responsibilities different things that um can that we can give in different moments of our lives. And um, I think that it's for every person to figure out what that balance is. But my my belief is that we do have to certainly take care of ourselves in all the ways that we can. We can bring awareness to the ways in which we give and support and love other people already. And then we can find ways to interweave and offer that up to other people um, as much as we can whether that's through our career, through our family, through our community, through um, our neighborhood and the way that we greet our, the people that we see on the street. Like there's just millions of different ways that we can strengthen this interconnectedness that we experience and um, find ways to support it in terms of slightly shifting towards a better world. And I think always an important thing to point out that lots of these things don't cost a penny or a dime. Do they? Yeah, exactly. It's, we... And again, like we talked about before hopping on the call, like we talked about the commodification of wellness and of the the problematic nature of that and how exclusive and, um, you know, how, how incorrect that is and how it can perpetuate these societal ills that already ail us. And, um, you know, we, we don't, we, we don't, I think like, at least for me, and I I don't want to speak for other people, but I don't need as much as I thought I did. Mm. What Mm. I need to do is actually give more than 
-hmm. I thought I needed and offer that up to other people. And I have found an abiding joy and contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment in that, that I have literally never experienced in any other way of living. And I think I can't think I I'm, I can't think I'm going to top that last last, <laughs> last sentence. I mean, I, I've literally just noted down. I was like, use that as a clip. Um, <laughs> no, that was no. I think that that really summed up your your um, your philosophy. Um, and but also, it's really interesting that nuance between the offering yourself up and your unique gifts and talents, but not it not being onerous and not doing it out of the sense of obligation, which I'm not quite sure I've, I've been able to distinguish yet in my head. Perhaps it's maybe perhaps because I'm doing things out of senses of obligation. But but Steph, yeah. honestly, thank you so much for your time. Oh. Uh, it's been fascinating, insightful. Um, and thank you for your honesty as well in terms of, you know, your, 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 your own personal journey and the struggles that you are facing, you know, at the moment to this day. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a joy to talk to you. And thank you for helping me to see some really cool new insights. And um, uh, I'm, I'm just really grateful. Oh, well, th- thank you so much. And a massive shout out to The New Happy. You can find The New Happy at thenewhappy.com. Um, and thank you to everyone listening. Uh, you can subscribe to us on most major podcast platforms, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Just search for Psychic Community or Psychic Stories and we'll pop up. And please do give a rating if you like the show. And do check out our free Sidekick app. Yes, I said free, no signups, nothing for iPhone and iPad, a collection of interactive exercises, tools, and tips to help you boost your mental well-being. The app enables you to build a personalized well-being toolkit help you deal with life's ups and downs just go to our website www.sidekick.org.uk and click the download now button in the header to take you to the app store steph thank you so much again thank you